0: This comes from Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 4 through 17. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing for and gather his wheat into the barn. With the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the the Jordan to John to be baptized in. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is thus fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, with my I will please. Welcome to Bloomingdale, friends. We're starting a new year. Uh, we finished up our time of looking at the story of the birth of Christ, and like I said last week we're going to be uh, springboarding from that into the ministry of Jesus, looking at uh, some of the high points out it, some of the major themes of the ministry of Jesus as we lead up to Easter. Uh, so it sounds like fun to do it, so, and there's no other group of people I'd rather do it with, so we're, <laughs> we're, going, we're going to get, go for it, and uh, let's do this. So we're going to start with the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, and we'll be working through it each week, hitting some of the high points. So like, like I said, there's only a certain amount of time from here until Easter, and Jesus' ministry was three years. We get a peek at it in the Gospels, and we get a peek at it from different angles, from the, the different writers of the four Gospels, but even with all the archaeology that we have today, all the study that we have available today, we don't have all of it, because if we look at John uh, chapter 21, verse 25, it says, Now there are many, also many other things that Jesus did, where every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself did not contain the books that would be written. So I'm going to approach it from that standpoint, that we're not going to see during this time all of what Jesus did, but we're going to get a pretty good clue of what's going on in his ministry and uh, look at it from the standpoint of he is on his way to the cross. It takes three years to get there, but he's on his way to the cross. So we're going to start at the beginning, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, I'm going to warn you that this morning you may hear things that may or may not be in concert uh, with the traditional Quaker beliefs, and it's something that I'm going to do my best to present from a purely scriptural uh, standpoint of the impact of this passage and what it had on Jesus' Because I'm, I'm not here to argue for anyone to be baptized in a certain way or a specific manner or a physical manner. Uh, that's something that's been debated over many years. I have my views. Others have theirs. And it's up to them personally to handle that in light of Scripture and let God speak to them. That's not my place. So that said, we're going to go into this passage uh, dealing with Jesus and John Baptist. So... This this passage it starts the ministry of Jesus. This this is where he uh, makes his first public appearance as the promised Messiah. Uh, we don't have a ton of information on Jesus between the time that we talked about last week, where uh, we had the flight to Egypt. The only real picture that we have of Jesus is a between toddler and thirty three or thirty and entering ministry. Is a passage in uh, Luke chapter two where he is talking on the porch of the temple with the teachers. We think he's about twelve. We think it's probably around the time of his bar mitzvah uh, in, in Jewish history. So that's that's about the only peak that we have is Jesus as a boy at the temple, and then it, and then it fast forwards all the way to Jesus is thirty. John has been out baptizing people, Jesus comes to see them. So that's that's what we're going to spend our our time with. Last time we saw John, he was a baby. His dad was (coughs) Zechariah, the priest, because that that's the one that God came and spoke to him through the angel Gabriel and was told, You're gonna have a son. He said, How can this be? We're old. And he says, You're not going to speak again until the baby is born. And then he speaks up and says his name is going to be John. So that's, that's, where, that's where we're at. We know that, uh, that John's mother was Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary. So there, there, is, there is a little bit of history there. But outside of that, we don't know a ton about John until uh, we see him as an adult uh, in, in this passage. So many church historians think that John was influenced by a group of Jewish religious leaders called the Essenes. Uh, we don't see much of any about them in the New Testament. There were three major groups of Jewish leaders in, in that time period, in the time that Jesus walked the earth. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which we see in this passage, and we'll see a lot of them uh, in the New Testament. But nobody really talks about the Essenes. Now, what they were is, they were a group of uh, religious leaders that they withdrew from public life. They, uh, they had more of a monk. Like existence, and we're gonna we're gonna find out how that how that plays into this. But their major settlement was a city called Qumran on the west bank of the Dead Sea. Now, some of them call some, some historians call them a, an apocalyptic group of Jews because one of the major tenets of what the Essenes believe is they read the Old Testament and they believe what God said. They said God is going to send a Messiah, so they. They spent their time doing things of eternal importance. They uh, did not do some of the ancillary things that the Pharisees and Sadducees did. They did not get involved in politics. They, they studied the scriptures. Uh, they tried to stay as clean as they could in light of the New Testament or Old Testament law. And they prayed for the Messiah to come. So this is how we're going to see this influence here. Now... Qumran, maybe you would know about that because of a group of scrolls that were found called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Those were found near the location of Qumran uh, in some caves near, near the Dead Sea uh, in 1947 by a shepherd boy. And some of us know the story. He was, he was out watching his goats or sheep, and he, he throws a rock into a cave, and he hears it bounce around. He throws another rock into the cave, and then he hears something break. So he goes to investigate and he finds all these jars and inside the jars were scrolls. Now, uh, what those scrolls were, many historians and archaeologists agree that those were were writings of the Essenes preserving scripture because there were no copying machines then, so everything had to be handwritten. They were scrolls preserved and stored there for safekeeping by uh, this group of Jews. Now, they were. First century and AD and before, but we see as they have taken these scrolls, they're even still translating them today, all these years later. There were that many; it's it's crazy. But as they're translating things, they're seeing what we have matches what they have, so it even gives further credence to the translations we have of the Old Testament are very accurate, and very correct. Uh, that God's word is. So many of the people that, that talk about John the Baptist, or historians, they believe that he was at least influenced by these scenes, if he was not a member of that group of Jews. And we, we see that because there, is a, there seemed to be a relation between the ritual washings of the Jews, which that's something we go back in the Old Testament, if you read the book of Leviticus, you will see lots of instances of if you do this, you need to wash this way. If you do that. You need to sacrifice and wash this way. The Essenes were very, very um, into that practice. They they practiced ritual washings as the as the Old Testament prescribed. Now, they think that maybe John's diet uh, the locusts and, mal- and honey, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and his type of dress, the camel hair, came from his influence from the Essenes because they practiced a very simple, a very monk-like existence. So, the other thing about this is the area where John was baptizing people, the commonly agreed upon area where John was baptizing, where Jesus was baptized, is north of the mouth of the Dead Sea along the Jordan River. Qumran was on the west bank of the Dead Sea, south of the mouth of the Jordan River, about a half a day to a day's walk, depending on the terrain in which route he took. So, it was, it was not, if he was one of the Essenes, if he had spent time at Qumran and left that to go baptize people and herald the Messiah, that would have been in line with him having that influence. So, now, like the Bible tells us, John's diet was locusts and wild honey. I am not sure that he would want to have Sunday dinner with him. <laughs> I, 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 I would beg out. So, uh, the wild honey may not have been so bad once you got it. You know, getting stung by me is not fun. Um, but the locusts don't really have that type. And there, there's some, some people, uh, like John Gale in his commentary, he points out that people try to say, well, locusts was a name for this, or "locust." what they really meant was this. Well, here's what John Gale says. By the locust, some of the are meant a sort of fish called crabs, which John found it upon the banks of the Jordan and lived upon. Others, a sort of wild fruit, where the tops of the trees and plants that he found in the wilderness and fed on are designed. But the truth is, these were a sort of creatures called locusts, in which by ceremonial law were waffle to be eaten, see Leviticus 11.22. So this means, you know, the, the oversized grasshopper locus is what he, he's talking about. And it was something that was eaten in the Middle East at that time. There are even some that up into our time period that will still do that and depends on how you cook it. No thank you for me. It's great for them if they want to do it, but no thank you for me. But this goes back to the Essenes were very, they they were not lording over people with the law like the Pharisees and Sadducees were. They were trying to keep it themselves and they would have seen this this diet is being okay as far as a way to exist, and was within what could be eaten within the Jewish law. So, John is a very interesting fellow. Um, another thing that we have to look into is that John himself was a fulfillment of prophecy, because if you look at uh, Isaiah verse uh, Isaiah chapter forty verse five, it says, Avoid voice cries in the wilderness: Prepare the way of the Lord; make straight in the desert a way for." Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and every hill may glow. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. John also fulfills Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. I said it before, I'll say it again. God has a plan. God plays the long game. He puts people where he wants them to be at the time that they need to be there. John is an example of this. Like I mentioned during the time of Jesus being born, certain things had to be in place in order for John and in order for Jesus to do what they did. And in order for Jesus to be declared as the Messiah, in order for Jesus to fulfill the prophecy of being the Messiah, like the two passages here say, there had to be someone to prepare for it. There had to be a messenger. And that messenger was John. John was a Jew, and he was raised in Jewish customs. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was raised in Jewish customs. A lot of people think that John was at least influenced by the Essenes, if not one of them, as opposed to the Pharisees or Sadducees. Um, but in his commentary, Barnes takes a little bit of a different look at John's baptism. This, this is something that we, we can all look at and we can all, all think about. The word baptize, or the Greek baptizo, signifies originally to tinge, to die, to stain, as those who die clothes. It here means to cleanse or wash anything by the application of water. Washing or ablution was much in use among the Jews as one of the rites of their religions in Numbers 19.7 and Hebrews 9.10. It was not customary however among them to baptize those who were converted to the Jewish religion until after the Babylonian captivity. At the time of John and for some time previous they had been accustomed to administer a rite of baptism or washing to those who became proselytes to their religion, that is, to those who were converted from being Gentiles. This was done to signify they had renounced the errors and the worship of the pagans, and as significant, that they were becoming pure by embracing a new religion. John found this custom in use, and he was calling the Jews to a new dispensation. To a change in the form of their religion, he administered this rite of baptism, or washing, to signify a cleansing from sin, adopting a new dispensation, or the fitness for the pure reign of the he applied an old ordinance to a new pers- purpose. As it was used by him, it was a significant rite or a ceremony intended to denote the putting away of impurity and a purpose to be pure in heart and life. So, a lot of us, we, we overlook the fact that the, the Jews, they were doing this ceremony washing. Uh, and it, it, over time, it changed through their history. Prior to Babylon, the captivity, when they were in the captivity, they were—they weren't necessarily doing the ceremonial washings so for people who converted to Judaism from outside of their religion, you know, Gentiles or proselytes. But at some point, that became more common after the Babylonian captivity, all the way up until the time of John and Jesus. So things were changing in the Jewish religion all the way up until the time of Messiah. So here, God calls John to. Use an ordinance that had been going on and use it in a new way for his purposes. So that it's it's important information as we look at the meaning of John's baptism and why Jesus insisted on being baptized. Uh, because in verses 7 through 12, John is using this ritual to mark this outward sign of my heart has been changed. God has spoken to me, God has called me to do something different, to turn from what I was doing before, because John was preaching repentance. John was preaching, turning away from sin and following God. And it was marking that change. And we also need to note that in these verses, he was quick to point out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees who had outward signals, but there was no change. Because the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were very... Specific in following the Jewish law to the letter for the purpose of outward ritual. Their heart was not in it. Their heart was not towards following God, towards having a relationship with God. Their quest was blood and power at the time of Jesus. Centuries prior, the original purpose of the Pharisees was applying the priestly Mosaic law to all Jews in order to get everyone closer to God. That happened about 400 years before Christ. Now, by the time Christ was walking the earth, that had went, in a way, was corrupt. It had went in a way that sought power and control over the common people. So, by that time, John was using some pretty strong words against the Pharisees and Sadducees, because he saw that it was just an outward appearance he saw that what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing did not mark heart change. So he used those strong words. He, he calls them vipers, poisonous snakes. Uh, Gill's commentary explains that uh, the illustration of the viper was very apt to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The viper appears very beautiful outwardly, but it is full of poison. It looks harmless and innocent, as if it could neither nor would do any hurt. It's teeth being hid, but it's a most deadly and hurtful creature. So these men, even though they made pretenses to religion and holiness, they were full of deadly poison, of hypocrisy, malice, and error. A very disagreeable salutation this must be to men who were desirous of being reckoned very religious and who boasted of trusting in their place being the seed of Abraham, when they were the children of the devil, the seed of the old serpent, and the offspring of the worst of men, and in whom was verified the proverb, the white father, this is what Gil had to say about the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees in, in relation to what John told them. Uh, Peter Pett, in his commentary, he points out that the reason that the Pharisees and Sadducees were there wasn't to come necessarily come to be baptized themselves. They had not then having a change of heart, but they had heard the rumblings, they knew that people were going out there, they wanted to find out what was going on. They wanted to find out if this was something that was in accordance with Jewish law, or something that they needed to shut down. And the Sanhedrin, who was a council of 72 members, typically it was some mix of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They could shut that sort of thing down, in a way. They could make things very difficult for John, and later they did. But it it was something that they they could approve or disapprove of what was going on and carry a lot of weight in their political situation. Now, regardless of whether they were there to approve or disapprove, John was not there for their benefit. He was not there for the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He was there for the people who would be known as commoners, the regular people, the people whose hearts were soft and ready to hear from God. They were people that were ready for a new thing. They had seen what religion in its forms, without that relationship with God brought. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were a prime example of that, an illustration was right there. Now, John's message was new, that the Messiah was near, that the Messiah was coming. And John hyper-takes this stance as well. He says, John makes clear that his baptism of repentance is bringing into being a people of God for the coming Messiah. And that he is bringing this people into being with an identity that's not identical with their Jewishness, but with their repentance. Because the Pharisees and Sadducees, their identity was within their ability to follow the Jewish law. What John was preaching was that the people needed to repent and rely on God because it was not anything they could do. Now, there's an important distinction in the message that John preached it was one of repentance. And if you define repentance, it's not a, I'm sorry, I got caught. It's a, I'm sorry, and I'm going to do it differently. Uh, Brian Bell's commentary says repentance is that they would have a change of mind, a change of attitude that translates to a change of action or a change of life. So that's what John was preaching and, and preaching repentance. So now that we have a background of what, of what John's message was and why John was there and why it was important that John was there, we're, we see a sentence in the, in the gospel uh, in verse 13 that says, basically, and then Jesus shows up. We're going to see that a lot in the next few weeks as, as we go through the ministry of Jesus. We're going to see something go on, and then we see, and then Jesus shows up. Because those few words make all the difference. They make all the difference in the Bible. You know, it, it really divides the Bible in two. You have people seeking forgiveness that cannot save themselves all through the Old Testament. And then Jesus shows up. We're going to see that as, as we go through the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Gill's commentary suggests that John had been preaching and baptizing in that area for several months before Jesus uh, shows up. And he, that he was there to prepare the way, to fulfill scripture, uh, to fulfill prophecy. We don't know how long it was, But we know that there was a period of time. That's good enough for me. That he was there to prepare the way to fulfill his prophecy. Our next question is, why would Jesus be baptized? Because we see that as soon as Jesus is there, John says, why are you here to be baptized by me? I should be baptized by you. And he says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals. Now, that that is a cultural cue. That is something. Untying the sandals. Washing the feet. That was reserved for the absolute lowest of the lowest servant in the household. And John is saying. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals and wash his feet. Because. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the one who I'm telling. Now. Notice that Jesus doesn't say. I need to be baptized because I'm repenting. Because. He was born without sin, lived without sin, so there would be no sin to repent of. But he says, "I need to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness." Now, Peter Pett's commentary he points out that the reason for Jesus being there is first to recognize that John is doing the work of God, and second that he is the Messiah. Peter Pett says this: Jesus travels to from Galilee where John is preaching to the Jordan in order to be baptized in This was an act of deliberate and determined choice. By by it Jesus demonstrated he thoroughly approved of the ministry of John and saw it as the work of God on behalf of Israel. It was the picture of what God was about to do in Israel and wanted to indicate that he was at one with his people in it. Being baptized by John was the right thing for all men to do and therefore it was necessary for him to be a part of it. For he must demonstrate that he was fully a man among men, and at one with all who sought righteousness. And we'll also note that when Jesus shows up, Jesus gets an entirely different reception in the Pharisees and Sadducees, doesn't he? You see that John recognizes and sees that Christ is the promised Messiah. Clark's commentary points out that Jesus being baptized was part of his taking the role of our promised high priest, because it says that the Messiah was going to be our high priest. Our link between man and God. Now, Clark says, our Lord represented the high priest and was to be the high priest over the house of God. Now, as the high priest was initiated into his office by washing and anointing, so must Christ. And hence, he was baptized, washed, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. Thus, he fulfilled the religious ordinance of this initiation into the office of the high priest, and was prepared to make an atonement for the sin of mankind. Here we go back to Jesus taking a Jewish ordinance of washing and anointing that signified a high priest was ready, a new high priest was ready to serve on behalf of the people, and Jesus was. So it's taking what God had ordained before, extending it, and using it for a purpose as part of God's own world. And it tells us that. The baptism of Jesus was another step in God's plan of redeeming people That He the Savior. There's the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. Uh, we see in verse 17, that Jesus was baptized. And a very important part of this, He receives the approval of God the Father. Uh, because we see, like in Clark's commentary, it says that the three distinct persons of the Trinity are here. The word Trinity never occurs in it's a doctrine that is laid out clear as day that the actual word Trinity is never used in the New Testament. But here is one of the places you can point to and say, yes, the Trinity is a proper doctrine. Here it is. Because you have Jesus the Son. You have the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. And you have the Father speaking, saying, this is my Son, I'm no more pleased. So you have all three parts of the Trinity right there, right there. And there's, there's been a lot of debate over the centuries that we're not going to solve this morning. But there's been a lot of debate over, you know, did it actually look exactly like a dove? It says as a dove. And who actually heard the Father speaking? Was it Jesus and John? Was it the whole crowd? You know, what, who heard? Now, enough people heard for it to be recorded in the scripture. And we have it today in the scriptures. That's good enough for me. We know that this took place. God said it therefore happened. So this argument, if we can get hung up on those details, it can take away from the whole situation. Because ultimately it's recorded in Scripture we have it. And we see that this is a public declaration. Because John makes the declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. God makes the declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. So... It's there. The public declaration is there. Uh, There are many who will say that Jesus never declares himself as the Messiah. Look at Matthew chapter 3. That's that's what this passage is about. So another thing we need to take from this passage is that John was preparing people for the Messiah. And the Messiah showed up. They had been waiting for 400 years as Jews. We talked about that in our uh, series on the birth of Christ. Here he is. Not only has he been born, but now he's ready to begin his ministry and do what has been prophesied in scripture and redeeming people. Uh, We see that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. We see that God publicly declared that Jesus was his son and gave his blessing on Jesus going forward. We see, well, yeah, Dad would bless his son. No, this is a very Jewish thing. This is the father's blessing on the son is an incredibly important thing in Jewish culture. If you want, if you want to look at what uh, the implication of a blessing, blessing given to the wrong son or given to one son over another, go back this week in your Bible study and look at Jacob and Esau and getting the blessing from Isaac and how that impacted their lives and generations and lands and tribes spreading out from there. That's how important Father's blessing was. Here Jesus, as He's beginning His ministry, receives the most important blessing in Scripture of God the Father saying, this is my Son, who I'm well pleased, and declaring He's ready for the ministry that I brought Him into and called Him to do. So there are varying debates over the baptism of John, what it looked like, what it, whether you know, he he was fully immersing people, whether he was pouring over. You know, that's something that's been debated for centuries and centuries and centuries. We won't solve that in this morning either. But it's something that we we're not going to solve it. But one thing that we can do is we can look look at our hearts, look at scripture, and say, you know, God, how do I live this out in my daily life? How do I how do I Others have their views, but ultimately it's a decision that you make with God as to what that looks like in your life. And the last thing that we can take from this this morning is that a reminder this passage shows us once again, and we see it over and over and over in Scripture, that God plays the long game. God is not God is putting people in the exact Place that he needs them at the exact time he needs them to do the exact thing that his will requires, and we need to be ready for that to include us because God is never early and God is never late, He is always on time, He will always do what is needed for His will to be accomplished. So we can take comfort in that that has not changed yesterday, today, forever, and we we can take comfort in that the reason you're sitting here this morning is for a reason. God is preparing you for something. God is preparing you to do something. He's probably not preparing you to just sit in a pew. He is preparing you for something that involves joining in what He's doing around you. So, as we close our time of worship and like your tradition, uh, that's, that's my encouragement for you. Is so that you, you take this time and you ask God, God, what are you prepared for? What are what are you getting ready to do in this community? What are you getting ready to do and the people that are around me that I'm going to be part of? It? And how can I be better prepared for this? So we'll close our time and and pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the time that we could look at your word, we could look at it, what it meant for jesus to be publicly declared to the messiah to start this ministry lord i pray that you would help us to live this out as we look at what are you preparing each one of us for to do in your will in this community lord and i pray that uh, this week that we would have an opportunity to share with others